HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. If you're a farmer in New York State, join the New York State Grown and Certified program to let people know your food is grown right, right here. Learn more at certified.ny.gov. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Okay, so it's good to start the day with a laugh. I actually have a guest in the studio today, but before I tell you who it is, first I'll tell you who I am. I am Katie Kiefer, and this is What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights. We are live at Roberta's in Bushwick, and this is the Heritage Radio Network. Um, so we start this show with a joys and sorrows segment, um, and uh, today I actually, as I said, have a guest in the studio, Sari Kamen, who is... Um, a longtime heritage uh, broadcaster herself, and she is kindly joining me today to talk about many things, including our joys and sorrows, but also the Women's March and some ideas around a new show that she's planning and much, much more. So um, stay tuned for that. In the meantime, let's talk a little bit about those joys and sorrows, Sari. Like I... In the, in the midst of, I watched the inauguration. I know we were supposed to boycott it, but I watched I was with my 94-year-old aunt in Washington. How could you stomach it, though? Uh, well, you know, you just, um, you know, grit your teeth. It, no, it was interesting. I mean, from the point of, uh, from a sociological point of view, it was actually very interesting to watch. It was interesting to see the expressions on everybody's faces. It was interesting to <laughs> like watch. Like Michelle Obama's. <laughs> yeah, right. And Hillary's. Mm. Um, and Bill's. Uh, it was really interesting uh, when the camera uh, dwelt upon our new president, um, you know, he who shall not be named, the Twitler. Twitler. <laughs> president Twitler. Um, <laughs> I think that's my favorite name I've heard so far. I think so, so too, right? Yeah. I was better. just going to say our new president. Bleh. Yeah. <laughs> the Cittolini. I, I like Cittolini, too. I think that's a pretty good one. But, um, you know, we're going to have a field. There's a joy right there. We're going to have a freaking field day with this stuff. I we mean, are. It's, it's comedy gold. 
uh, if you want to look at it that way. Uh, it is, you know, profoundly tragic on the, in reality, but there is comedy gold to be struck from. Certainly, I might. Michael Moore said that made that exact point at the rally. Yes, he did. He did. He said we we, we will fight the administration with our army of humor. I think. Yes. To paraphrase it. Well, since it's clear that uh, Cittolini has no sense of humor, <laughs> he really has no sense of none, humor. None. You knew he was a sociopath, like right away, because he never cracked any jokes. That's right. Yeah, not even. I mean, even Pence seems to have a little more uh, of a glimmer of humor than than the Cittolini. But um, in any case, there there's another joy to be uh, mined from this whole ghastly experience, and that is that the media has regained its prominence as the savior. <laughs> Do we, no, we, we can't go as far as savior, but the not media, yet. But they have gained new prominence as the arbiters of what is truth and mm -hmm. what are alternate it's a facts. lot of responsibility it is mm -hmm. and i i hope they rise to it but i feel like they will i was driving back from the march yesterday i was listening obviously to um npr and i don't just listen to heritage um i, was to <laughs> I, was say, I don't just listen to npr <laughs> <laughs> um and they had uh jack schaefer on who runs politico and uh this was in on the media and um and he said, you know, this is an opportunity. This mm -hmm. is a great opportunity for, for media to regain its market share, uh, for it to regain the prominence that it deserves and needs to have, and that reporters are, are going to have to, you know, get off their asses and stop stop writing about tweets and start talking about policy again and really covering the news instead of the uh I guess alternate facts. We, I, I think, in a way, that fake news, the alternate facts, it all sort of dovetails together. And I, you know, what what do you think happened there? Actually, why do you think we suddenly, not suddenly, but gradually descended into this miasma of alternate facts, which is what the news has been covering for the last basically four years, at least. Yeah, I mean, I think the election was a really confusing time. I mean, there was such an outpouring of. Um, different perceptions that were happening. And, you know, there's, there's clearly a narrative for every type of person out there. And there's an opportunity for each individual to kind of pick and choose what news they want to read and believe is true, depending on, you know, what their personal politics are. And that is such a fatal flaw of our, of our time. And I, and I've felt during the election, I felt, you know, I was, I was truly gripped with fear reading all of these different um, stories, which were, some were clearly well, I, don't, I shouldn't say clearly. Some, to me, in my opinion, see, I, all of a sudden news is opinion. Some seem to yeah. be true and some seem to be fabricated and some seem to be grossly hyperbolic. And um, there was sort of a lot of responsibility uh, on the individual to sort of discern which was truth and which was alternative truth. And it became um, it became very blurred. The lines were very blurred. And, you know, I... I I, I feel that the liberal media or people of um, the liberal persuasion have a little bit more, oh, this is going to sound so offensive, more competence in discerning which is actual fact and which is not. But there were so many stories that came out about people who created these fake news, a lot of them just for profit, not necessarily because they were partisan or not, sure. um, that they tried to appeal more to the liberal uh, sect and the fake news just didn't take as well, which was an interesting thing to read. Right, a more skeptical audience on, yeah. the, on the on the on the left wing side mm -hmm. than on the right. I, I think that's very interesting because, would, you know, if I were a Republican or had I been of that persuasion, um, 
I don't see how you could fail to miss the fact that we have the lowest unemployment rate that we've had in decades, not just since before the recession, but I mean, not just since the recession, but before the recession and that, you know, health care is is a right. And I don't think we'll ever go back from that idea. Fortunately, that's one thing that even if they repeal it, which looks pretty sure that they mm-hmm. will, um, we will still have that sort of news story implanted on both the right and the left. But uh, yeah, the credibility of the right wing in glossing over these facts that are facts um, and going for this other narrative that America is a smoldering ruin, thanks to Obama, <laughs> you know, I, I, I just I find it extraordinary that people have bought into that no matter how um, how much they may hear that from Rush Limbaugh and, you know, Laura Ingram and all the rest of those jackals on the on that side of the media. I don't know. It's a very interesting uh, question, which will undoubtedly be parsed out in the coming four years. Yeah. And I wonder if there's ever going to be any sort of um, accountability. I mean, I do feel like fake news was a a huge factor in why the election resulted in the way it did. I agree. And there was a New York Times article this past week that came out. I don't know if you read about a a 23 year old young individual who created a fake news story about um, pre-marked ballots for Hillary. I didn't see that. No. Yeah, he was, you know, he's 23 and he saw an opportunity to make some money and he bought a domain for like, what, seven bucks? Yeah. And called it like the Christian News or Christian Hair. I don't know, something, something. And he created a story about how, you know, thousands and hundreds of thousands of pre-marked ballots were discovered in an Ohio warehouse. And he like Googled and found, he Googled ballots and found a picture, found an image from Poland and threw the image up. And he was like, well, if there's an image, surely people won't doubt the credibility. And he and was exactly he was right. right. And, that, wow. and that story got shared over 50,000 times. Amazing, amazing. If, but then there's also the fact that the New York Times, for example, covered those effing emails Ad nauseum. Right. There was no there there. Yeah. It was just like the just burger. like Whitewater. You know, it was there was no there. Yeah. And yet the even the mainstream left wing or, you know, at least centrist media continued to harp on that rather than cover the stories about Trump University and, you know, all of the other ways in which this man has conned and lied and stolen from people all over the world. I mean, I, that's where I feel like the accountability really I mean. They need to be held accountable for that, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and I think that other news, major newspapers followed, followed their, their lead in that sense, that they continued to cover stories that were not stories. And I'm not sure who they thought they were appealing to by doing that. And they certainly didn't seem to have any idea of what the consequences would be. Well, now they go and find out. Well, now, well, now they know. Yeah. Well, they're really going to find out when Trump starts rolling back uh, freedom of the press. Oof, you know, starts denying them access to the to the White House. And uh, you saw that incredible. I don't even know what to call it a press briefing. I don't know what it was when <laughs> Sean Spicer came out on Saturday and just vomited a bunch of lies and took yeah. no questions and left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was, that was I don't know what the name of that is. I don't know. My aunt like so many right. things, it is it is both unprecedented and unprecedented. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, should we take a break? I think we've exhausted our joys and sorrows. We'll just take a break. Have Wait, a where little... was the joys part? <laughs> uh, the joys is the joys is our is first of all our oh, new right, the humor. alternate facts. Right, <laughs> Twitler. Oh, we and... didn't even speak of Kellyanne. We did not speak of Kellyanne. 
<laughs> but that, that's okay. That's, I, I think it's okay. That let's should not, be the precedent. Let's not, not speaking of Kellyanne. Let's not give her any more airtime. <laughs> let's go to break and uh, have our sponsor drop with New York grown and certified. Please tell me if I get that right, Vitor. I never, ever, ever get it right. Um, in fact, I was going to ask Sari to remember it for me so at the end of the show I can thank them again correctly, as I never do. I'll do my best. Um, but we'll be right back uh, after this, and we're going to talk about some new ideas, um, both here and abroad. Stay tuned. New York State cares about New York's farmers. That's why we've developed the New York State Grown and Certified program. It's a seal New Yorkers can look for when they're shopping for food that comes from local farms. Customers are more likely to buy food that has the New York State Grown and Certified seal because it tells them that it comes from a farm that follows environmentally responsible, farm-safe protocols. In other words, the New York State Grown and Certified Seal tells them their food is grown right, right here in New York State. You're a farmer with a lot to do, but the time it takes to sign up for the program is a great investment for your business because it lets shoppers know that your food meets higher standards, has passed assessments, and is produced by environmentally friendly farming practices. To learn about participating in the program, go to certified.ny.gov. This is What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer, and we are talking today. I am talking today. You are listening today to uh, my my friend and uh, not co-host, but fellow, my colleague, Sari Kamen, from the morning after. Hello. Thank you for coming in today. Oh, it feels great to be on this side of the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Same side of the microphone, different side of the table, yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, we both just got back from the Women's March in D.C. Yeah. And um, so I thought we could talk a little bit about that because uh, it was such an epic experience. I am so happy that I went to D.C. Not to not to belittle any of the other marches because I think the march in New York, which was nowhere near as well organized or not, I shouldn't say well organized, but nowhere near as planned. Uh, had probably close to as many marchers as we did in D.C. I felt like there were a million people there. I really did. Didn't you? I, I absolutely felt that way. Um, I heard that number. I don't know if that... Michael you know, Moore said it, and then one of the yeah, other people said it. But- I saw it on CNN. I mean, I don't know if you know, we'll ever really know exactly what the number is, but it doesn't matter. I mean, all I know is as far as I could see, every single street in Washington, D.C., was was flooded with people. It was yeah. a sea of pink pussy hats as far yeah. as the eye could see, and it was a glorious sight to behold. It yes. was just a beautiful thing. And I don't know about you, but I have not been able to stop looking at the images from the other marches around the world, including freaking Antarctica. Yeah, yeah. wasn't that amazing? Every single it. continent yeah. had a march. Isn't that great? Oh my god. It is so tremendously historic. Like it just I I feel just emotional just saying that out loud. Yeah. What yeah. an amazing day to be a part of. You know, uh, yes, I felt the same way. I felt honored and uh, proud, really happy and proud of us. It was nice to feel proud again. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It was, a, it was truly a great feeling to be in this group of totally chilled out, happy, you know, like people truly were joyful there, and positive, purposeful, but not, but no, not angry. It was, well, 
Yeah, I mean, angry, angry. in the abstract sense. Yeah. But, but no, but the actual... Right, not there to fight. Not there to fight. But I have to say, to... like, there was something um, that felt really cathartic about chanting with other yeah. people in the street. You know, just having your voice be as loud as it possibly could. I mean, there yeah. there was something there. There was anger there, but it was kind of... Um, channeled in, in a really positive way to yes. be able to just join a chorus of other angry people not who were you know not looking to to fight or use violence in any way but just just but, emote together yes just to just to let it be known. yeah just let, let it rip it be known man and we it really really felt this. and it felt and i and i know this to be true there are more of us than them yes i also felt that um i, I i'm gonna say this which is maybe not so, I don't know, maybe won't be so popular, but I, I keep hearing the news casting this as, as a, as a, um, you know, protest against Trump. And I know that we came together because Trump was elected. If Hillary had been elected, we wouldn't have done the women's March. Right. But that said, what I really felt strongly about was it was the women finally standing up after millennia of oppression and i i met some wonderful women in the crowd whilst i was standing there for four hours listening to the speechifying and at one point this woman eileen and i looked at each other and i said i'm just so effing sick of these middle-aged white men (laughs) i just like who are they? Who do they think they are that they are telling us what we can do with our bodies, what kind of money we can make? I mean, all of that stuff. I'm just so over it. And that was where I, I mean, that's the anger that I feel. And it's not even about Trump. It's about that. It's about women's rights. It's about being trampled over and over again and silenced and otherwise treated as second class citizens when we own half of the world. You know, it's just not right. And I felt like, Somehow, everybody was on that page. Um, and I also really hope that the people who take away from that march are Trump isn't going to notice one way or the other. He doesn't give a shit. But the other guys, the other middle aged white men in Congress, they're the ones that I want to reach. They are the ones that I feel really need to have this message hammered home. And when I go back down to DC, in February, you know, it turns out you can just wander around the halls of Congress and go into anyone's office you want to and tell them whatever you want to tell them. Did you know that? I did not know that. And I find it really hard to picture it. But well, I did. Why, why didn't we do that yesterday? <laughs> well, because probably none of them were in their offices. Well, that's true. Um, but yeah, you can actually go into to the you can get you get checked out. They look to see if you have any weapons on you. And then you can literally just walk around, drop into an office and either write down something that you want to tell the, your representative or any representative or tell their staff. But that's that's your right as a citizen. You can actually do that for yourself. And I, I think more people not only just call your congressional re- representatives, but anytime you're in D.C., drop in on a few of those mm-hmm. bastards and tell them what you think about, you know, dismantling the ACA or not paying women the equal amount of money as, as men are paid. I mean, yeah. I think that stuff, you know, that's putting a face to an idea is a powerful me- so way too. to send a message. So. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest takeaways yesterday or about yesterday is everyone was talking about like how there was this amazing collective gathering of people, but we have to figure out a way to harness this energy and this momentum and sustain it. So, I mean, there does have to be sort of a a systematic way to keep reminding these people 
in Congress, that they, they do work for us. That's right. And that's the message that I feel like is not getting across to them at this point. There, there are representatives. We are their constituents. Yeah. I don't understand what their obsession is with dismantling women's rights. I don't understand what that is. At this at this point, at this day and age, at this year, it makes absolutely no, no sense. sense. And I don't understand why Democrats are not standing up more strongly uh, against that tidal wave of Republican, right. you know. And like you said, that rally was not about Trump or just about Trump, but this election was especially painful because we all expected the first woman to yes. be elected president, and instead... We got a pussy grabber. Yeah. And that hurts. Yes. <laughs> it's just horrible. It is. It's, it's really, really horrible. really horrible. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's the embarrassment, the sort of collective American embarrassment over having a con man in the office of presidency is, is well, at least two thirds of us, I think, probably feel that embarrassment. And the other third like him. I know. And I, I hope... You know, I know all of the world was participating yesterday, but I, I really hope there was a spotlight on the United States that we were able to show the rest of the world is the majority of us did yeah. not vote for this man. This is not who we are. And America Ferreira was one of the, the rally speakers, yes. and I thought she did a tremendous job when she said, you know, Congress is not America. The president is not America. That's right. We are America, which is also funny because her name's America, because she yes. could have been like, I am America. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also we are America. Yeah, yeah. Well, we were talking about some of the chants and how enjoyable and cathartic it was yes. to participate Speaking in Speaking of soys and jarros. Yeah. Well, I just said that totally weird. Joys and sorrows. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> soys and that. jarros. I kind of like that. Sounds like an Asian Chinese fusion dish. Did, yeah. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> I like, I'd like that for lunch. Thank you. I know, I'm kind of hungry now. <laughs> I may never be able to say it the other way now. Oh, sorry. Um, but the, the chants were really great. And they were so clever. Yeah, the chants I were loved, great. The and the are great. signs were great. Oh, my God. My daughter did an incredible sign. She's of, such a great artist. She is so good. And she had a, she painted a portrait of Trump uh, with a crumpled piece of paper that he was shredding that was the First Amendment. Oh, that's it awesome. It was brilliant. I was just like, and she's only 20, and she's already doing stuff like this. You know, there were so many young people. I loved that. There were kids, and I and I saw and heard that a lot of the, the young people were the chant leaders. You know, I think that yes. they were really getting a kick out of being able to, to say something out loud and have people holler back at them and they were really feeling empowered in that moment they were they were we want a leader not a creepy tweeter yes <laughs> but there was a lot of like show me what democracy looks, looks like, like yeah. yeah this is what democracy yeah. and it did it was like this is what democracy looks like yes. and it was cool that a lot of a lot of times it was like a 12 year old who was like show me what democracy looks like yes. and i was happy for them that you know they they're so young and they're going to be impacted by this presidency and they're going to always remember what it was like, but they will always have that memory too. Yes. Of being amongst millions of people worldwide collectively, just taking to the streets. It's so historic. Taking to the streets and taking to the streets peacefully. Mm -hmm. That Not was a single just arrest. a beautiful moment. Yeah. That's unbelievable. Yeah. That is something you really have to, you know, consider as, as a triumph in and of itself. Yeah. I had a moment, I don't know if you had this as well. Um, I was kind of following a certain path and it felt like we were heading to the White House, yeah. just the route. And then at one point we got kind of as far as one could get it, towards the White House, but there was a barrier. Uh -huh. And then it sort of seemed like out of nowhere, all these Secret Service and policemen rolled up. And I was like, oh, what's this going to be? And people were chanting and they were like, you work for us. You work for us. And oh, I was wow. like, oh, no, is this going to be the showdown? 
but you know, nothing happened. Nothing like, happened. People just turned around, went the other way. Probably. Yeah, because yeah. people were going every single direction. I mean, yeah. nobody was looking to start a confrontation there. Yeah. And the policemen and the Secret Service, they were doing their job. Sure. And I have to think that in a city like DC, where ninety-five percent of the people voted against Trump, yeah, those. Those many, policemen many were, of those policemen did as well. We saw a lot of smiles <clears throat> at one point when we marched across the mall to go up Constitution Avenue towards the Washington Monument. There were uh, there was suddenly out of sort of out of nowhere this phalanx of of mounted policemen on those giant police horses, mm-hmm. which are bigger than almost any normal horse I've ever seen. Um, they showed up, but they were everybody cheered for them. Yeah. That was the thing that was, was so cool. great. It was like people were like clapping and cheering for them because I don't know because they were there. Yeah, <laughs> it was like and they making were making sure no one got hurt. Right, they were smiling. You know, you could definitely and and the other thing was like in the subway when we were leaving, uh, they just let us in for free. And this woman, oh, cool. it was so sweet. I mean, the woman there was like you know telling thanking us for doing it. I mean, it was really I and I got a lot of that you know from. Even just in the rest stops on the way back from Washington yesterday, the rest stops were overflowing, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. And the traffic was unbelievable on the way back up from D.C. And even the bathroom attendants (laughs) were like, you know, cheering the ladies in their pink pussy hats. I mean, it was wonderful. It was just it was so heartwarming. I know. Can we do that every week? Well, I said, (laughs) you know, at one point I said, I think we need to do this at least every year. Yeah. Um, I don't think we can do it every month, but I think we can do it every year, and I think we should and we must. Yes. And I also really appreciate that the American electorate, um, judging by the turnout at these marches in the United States at least, um, is is recognizing the danger that we face collectively as a nation and that there is a newly energized segment of the population that will, as you and I were just talking about, actually start holding Congress accountable instead of not paying attention, being asleep at the wheel, as we have been basically for decades. I mean, speaking personally, I think when I first started to reawaken to politics after having been quite a little activist in my youth, um, was under the Bush administration. Mm -hmm. And Um, you know, and I swore to myself at that point when he was reelected, I just thought, uh, you know, I am, I got to get busy here. Of course I didn't, um, (laughs) except that I started like paying more attention. I didn't do anything like call my, you know, elected representatives or anything. But, and then during the Obama administration, I didn't really have anything to complain about. I mean, I could have, I suppose, been complaining about the drones, but other than that, was there something we should have been complaining about? Expanded powers of the NSA, maybe? (laughs) I know. I'm trying to think back, like, what did he do bad? (laughs) But, you know, now it's it's a new dawn. Well, if there is any sort of silver lining or takeaway, I guess, um, it's that, you know, during the Obama administration, there have been tensions and there have been issues that have been building up and we weren't playing paying close attention. Right. And there's no there's no way to look away anymore. And, you know, this is where our media the responsibility is really going to fall to them to um, to just show up and and keep just and tell being the truth. diligent about the truth and the facts and what is happening and and we have to keep paying attention and we we just silence is not acceptable anymore and like silence yeah. is actually violence at this point. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Absolutely. Um, what was I going to say? I can't remember now. I had some other deep thought to impart to you, but I I've, <laughs> I've now. <laughs> 
<laughs> Unfortunately, due to my scrambled egg state, I'm. <laughs> We're both a little exhausted from the march yesterday. Yeah, and the drive. Which and the drive, yeah. Brutal, absolutely brutal. Yeah. Um, but anyway, well, let's. It's almost twelve thirty, so let's talk a little bit about uh, your. Well, we were going to segue from like solidarity in community in the march to solidarity and community in the world of food and how, you know, binding us together in communities now through this um, awakened interest or awakened concern about our political future. Um, I think there's I'm trying to find that metaphor that will segue us into what you want to do with radio. Yeah, well, I love the way that you're framing it. I'm like, tell me more about this. <laughs> This interesting concept. <laughs> Making it up is like, oh, yes, wow. that. Um, yeah, but I think, you know, there's the way to, to bind people together in, with common ideas, common ideals, and commonalities. So a commonality is food. And so Certainly. bringing together people whose backgrounds and thoughts might be different from yours um, through the vehicle of food. Exactly. It's, of shared... it's such a great uh, tool that we all, I mean, yeah. everybody eats, so we all have that in common. And, you know, when we're looking at ways to connect with other people and try and, ha you know, gain some access into, into who you might be or he or she might be who come from, you know, various different backgrounds, like a great way to approach that is just, well, how do you eat? Yeah, because um, we all have that. It's all we all inherently have in our culture, our food ways. And I think, you know, in a place like New York City, which is just such a perfect example, like, you know, we are that melting pot and it is a place that's just, you know, historically liberal. And, and I think it is because we have every single kind of person under the sun, yes. like literally living on top of each other. Yeah. This city, in contrast to some other places that are not quite as diverse, um, we, we have an understanding of each other. And we have a respect for each each other and each other's cultures. Not to say that there isn't, of course, you know, some tensions yes, exist. Exist. But... Some tensions exist, um, but we do have much more uh, of a communal way of living together. And I think it's because we have every kind of food here. So if I could see, I can see someone, you know, walking down the street, and they have they come from a different culture than I do, and that's clear and that's evident. But I may already have an understanding and a way in to who they are as a person because I have eaten in their restaurants. I have tasted their food. I have joined them in their in their rituals of baking, breaking bread. Yeah. And I think that that's just like a great first step to kind of understanding and either mitigating or um, unifying, unifying. Yeah. yeah. And so I think, you know, in, in this political climate, we all want to look at ourselves and say, like, what do I have to bring to the table? Mm -hmm. You know, how can I use the tools and the resources that I already have at my disposal to help enact change? And we may, we may not all be activists, and that's okay, but what can we do? Right. Just I having conversations. inclusiveness, mm -hmm. right? Isn't Absolutely. that what it's for? So that, I mean, in order to move the body politic in what any direction that we, you know, collectively decide is the direction we want to go and one way of making all those disparate cultures come together is through being able to identify the things that we like about each other. And food is obviously going to be one of them, one of the top ones. And it is, as you say, it's a window into who they are, their, what their culture is. And um, I, I have to say that I have, you know, I love New York City so much. And I've lived here for such a long time, 40-something years. Is it 40 years? Yeah, almost 40 years. 40 years in August. And um, I was never more proud of New York than after September 11th mm -hmm. because of that very 
experience of we were all New Yorkers, no matter where we came from, no matter what language we spoke. And I feel like that sense of of collective of unity within the city has, has never left us since there. If there was ever a gift from nine 11, I think that was it. At least it was for me was the sense of that. We are one big, you know, maybe not so happy family, but pretty happy family here. And, and as you say, part of that comes from our collective enjoyment of each other's cuisines. Yeah. I mean, there was so much hateful and harmful rhetoric that occurred during the election. Yeah. And, this new administration has been working very hard to try and get us just just use this very divisive language to try and get us to really fear each other and yes. be very distrustful of those who are who don't look the same like the same. Um, yeah. And I think that tool can, food can be a really powerful tool to to, to sort of uh, dissuade some of those feelings. Well, it breaks down barriers. I mm-hmm. mean, when you sit down at the table to eat with somebody, you you're busy with your hands, your, your fork, your knife in your mouth. And you know, you can't, you don't, you can't be bothered. You can't be just, you're not distracted by the things that are different. You're connected by the things that you do the same. And then that I think allows people to be more connected in other ways. Yeah. At least I would like to think so. I think so too. And I think, you know, New Yorkers and other cities for sure, like there's such a curiosity that's been happening like amongst food trends. We're all sort of craving authenticity. We want to understand the stories. We want to know where this food comes from. Mm-hmm. We want to understand the lineage and heritage behind this food and have those experiences that really bond us together as people, you know, that can occur at the dinner table. I think, you know, let's, let's open our homes to each other. Let's sit down. Let's share a meal. Only good things, only positive things can come out of that experience. Yeah, absolutely. So the concept is to try and connect with other people who come from other places and just listen to them and like, let's use food as a way to connect. Let's talk about recipes and stories. I mean, we all have traditions. We all have memories. We all have traditions. We all have rituals. You know, let's just start opening the door and, yeah. and discussing those. I love that idea. I think it's absolutely brilliant. I truly do. <laughs> oh, thanks, Katie. I do. I, I wish you great success with that. Thanks. I can't wait to see what it turns out to be. It's going to be fun. Me too. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> So you'll have guests on from different backgrounds yeah. and different cultures. Yeah. How are you going to find them, do you think? <laughs> I'm not sure yet. I mean, you know, it's like you said, it's New York City. It's a melting pot. It can't be yeah. that difficult. I mean. Just putting the call out. Yeah. Right? I mean, I think there's, you know, there's a, a lot of organizations that are doing amazing work and helping to resettle refugees. And I think a lot of people come here and they, they come armed with their recipes and they their do. stories and their memories. And they're going to want to talk about it. Oh, my God. That's a gorgeous concept, isn't it? Yeah. Just getting refugees to come in and talk. Mm-hmm. And what a way to welcome them to exactly. America, yeah. you know, to say, I really am interested. I value your contributions to our country. And and I'm excited to see what you bring with you. Yeah, I mean, I just want to provide a platform for people to kind of talk about where they're from and then use this common language of food to connect, at least in right. this in this space, in Heritage Radio, because that's what we do here. That's what we do, because mm-hmm. we are the Heritage Radio Network. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 12.35. Are we done? Should we go on to Are you asking topic? me? Are you asking the guy in the booth? No, I mean, I, I'm just like being slightly brain dead. I'm like, <laughs> what else can we talk about? I don't know. We haven't seen each other in a while. <laughs> true <laughs> you know oh i know let's talk about media again for a minute okay. because um because that's another story i mean the food story i'm gonna get on my little uh 
hobby horse now. Oh, good. Because food and politics, you know, which is what normally I talk about on this show. Um, you know, I want to see more of that coming out of the march that we just, you know, I always see everything through that lens anyway. And, and I, I just, I want to see more people becoming aware of how their food choices are being manipulated by agencies outside of, even outside of elected officials. That's a really hard thing to see if you're not already quite intimately familiar with the way things work. Yeah. From the top down. Well, it's such a complex series of problems and interconnections. And um, my last guest, uh, Molly Anderson from Middlebury, was really excellent in trying to parse out, tease out those connections um, and trying to create a sort of a basic framework for people to begin to understand how connected food is to politics. Um, it's not ancillary to politics. It kind of drives our politics in a lot of ways. And we talked quite a bit about the export orientation of this country in terms of how we raise food, what we raise, uh, how we price it and so forth. And, and there's so much of our, you know, the narrative of we have to feed 9.5 billion people or, you know, 9 million billion more people in the, uh, 2050 is is driven by these food companies that say, well, it's all on us to do it, but we aren't doing it. We aren't even doing it for our own people. So what we're doing is is raising things that make money for other people uh, rather than actually providing food and um, sustenance, nutrition, basic nutrition for, for all of us as well as other people around the world. And that's, I mean, in a way, that's sort of my goal for the next year is to just find, look for ways to... Um, because I think in a way, are we the only one? I mean, I live in a bubble, but <laughs> are we the only ones that don't have food policy? Are we the only ones who just blindly consume without ever thinking about where it comes from? We're that, I mean. We as an American? As Americans, yeah. Do you think we're the only yeah. ones who are as disconnected from our uh, food as we are? I mean. I think we're certainly disconnected from our terroir more than other countries are. I feel like other countries seem to pay more attention to food. Um, certainly in the EU, I think, you know, yeah. the French, the Italians, and the Germans, um, the Spaniards, the English, not so much. They're more like us, I think. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of an interesting thing because when you go over to the EU, you sort of see the pendulum swinging the opposite direction. Um, I think during the Obama administration, they certainly shone a spotlight on food policy and obviously like nutrition played such a major role in the White House and of course we had yes. Michelle Obama as an, as an amazing champion of, of nutrition and there seemed to be more of a shift just like a general collective shift um, in that direction and I went to France during grad school where I, I studied food studies and we were we were sort of aghast to see how much our our Western influence had sort of um, pervaded their food culture. Oh, most definitely. Yeah, and then, you know, seeing young people everywhere eating chips out of a bag. And, you know, we kind of went in with these preconceived notions that everyone in France just walks around with, like, picking out fresh vegetables as they walk down the street and, like, snacking on nothing but, like, cheese and baguettes and shopping at a farmer's market every single day. And we were, we were pretty horrified to 
to get there and find out that wasn't the case anymore. Yeah. So, you know, we were kind of moving in one direction in, in this country and they were sort of moving in the opposite direction. Yeah. I don't know. I, I got the feeling that they are still pretty connected to the food. Certainly more so yeah. than we I mean, are. But I'm, I don't feel very hopeful about <laughs> the direction this new administration will take us in. Oh, no. I mean, Mr. Fast Food himself, Cittolini. I mean... Yeah. That's what he likes. That's what he cares about. And I, I don't know anything about the new Secretary of Agriculture. I have to do some homework on him, but... It's not good. It doesn't sound like a good pick. I think the, the White House Garden will be you oh, know, the first casualty. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. That yeah. and, you know, as well as all of the nutrition programs that mm-hmm. have been put into place, they won't get any more funding. No. Anyway. Well, I think on that sad note, we should probably wrap it up because I'm starving. <laughs> Gotta go get a Big Mac. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta go get my chips. Yeah. Um, but thank you so much for joining me thank today. Thank you so much for having me. It was nice me. to have like somebody to debrief about the march with. Yeah. You know? That was really great. And for those of you who weren't able to attend a march, we were there for you. Absolutely. We were totally there for you. And um, and let's do it every year, folks. And let's keep our eye, eyes and ears really closely trained. And in the meantime, just... Just keep it up. Make the calls. Calling. Make the calls. Unfortunately, I'm senile, so I can't remember the name of, um, I mean, (laughs) the phone number of Congress, but it was pretty easy to remember, as I recall. It definitely started with 202. 202, (laughs) something, something, 2131. Yeah. I think it was 255. I don't want to say the wrong one. Yeah, right. But look it up. (laughs) And then just tell them your zip code and they'll tell you, send you to the right guy. So um, thanks for listening, folks. Thanks to my sponsor, New York Grown and Certified. Did I say it right, Vitor? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> New York State Grown and Certified. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back next week um, for another great episode. And uh, until then, have a good week. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place and we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.